Okay, so we have a few questions here. Mm. Sometimes during meditation I seem to experience a moment of deep stillness and calm in the body following distraction. It's though the all-absorbing nature of the distraction has led to the stillness. What do you think is happening here? Another question. Most methods of bhavana are mind-based or lead, led by the mind. For example, vipassana, super, metta, contemplation of death. In Anapanasati, meditation has not got the complete control over it. The breathing would continue anyway, even if the mind has run off. It feels as though the mind has to follow the breathing. This is why jhanic states are more connected to Anapanasati. Mm. Can you talk about sexual desire and how it to be with it? I've never tried investigating it. I've tried investigating it, ignoring it, avoiding the conditions that cause it to arise. Sometimes the energy in it seems more focused on living life fully and being fully alive, but this has a kind of vibration that's almost overwhelming, like the shimmering vibration in the Van Gogh picture. Then another one. Can you say more about how to soften and widen? I appreciate it's in the realm of a feeling, texture, or mindset to cultivate. But in the here and now, when I want to soften and widen, what exactly, or even broadly, am I doing? How does widening relate to one-pointedness, a definition of samadhi? How do I know if I have become too soft and wide, apart from people... <laughs> Start calling me Mr. Blobby. (laughs) 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 So, (laughs) it's too soft and wide if you end up dissolving and trickling out the door. That's how you know you've got too far. So there's a bunch there. I think I'll deal with those first of all. Oh, there's one more about um, explanation of mind moments is the ultimate nature of reality of vast energetic flux and a mind moments a construct of human perception why there's some kind of fundamental pulsing of energy. I put my attention mindfully on my process. I experience it in discrete mind moments, moments of awareness, but there's a sense of flow too. I wonder if it's possible for the mind to really go with the flow. Mm. Don't know about that. So things that perhaps more directly about practice or bhavana. Yeah, so similarly the question on the Bhavana led by the mind, for example, vipassana, asupa, metta, contemplation of death, and walking, if your intention stops, the walking stops, so it requires your mind to keep kind of getting the thing going. Dhanapanasati, it's more like controlled by the breath, this is why jhanic states are more connected to anapanasati. Mm. 
Maybe so, yeah. It's, um, it's you know, very s- simply summarizing, you might say you have two, two aspects. One is more the active discerning aspects, which are generated by deliberate intention as you you bring up a thought you focus on you bring up a thought you can sit it like metta or something like that you, you bring up a particular image that, that gets things going and a super you bring up a particular image that stops things going <laughs> you know actually provide gives rise to a perception in the mind with metta you bring up a, something that gives rise to another perception in the mind so it's the lovable and the super is the uh, the unlovable, the unattractive. Um, so you have that, and then <coughs> with anapanasati, you also have this, or this other aspect, which is that when some once you've got s- the sense of of dwelling in, or resting in, or uh, uh, I- enjoying, or widening into, or softening and widening into. <laughs> You know that that aspect, and for the two two have to work together. So, <coughs> with the so even with anapanasati, uh, the you know the, the breath, the breathing helps a lot because by itself it 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 naturally tends to calm the energies in the body and in the mind so it has that by itself it does that um, but you have to have that sense of you deliberately intending to somehow get to it tune into it stay with it keep referring to it yeah in this retreat i tend to emphasize more the bodily aspect um, for many reasons basically because most people find that if they tr- try too much with the other aspect that it actually knots up their breathing you know it's a kind of count it counter it counteracts the 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 kind of softening calming widening ex- aspect that the body will provide so in other words we don't have the 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 bodily reference very good most of us are so led by our thought faculties our discernment faculties that we don't have much of that just sit here and enjoy open up, let it happen sense, you know we don't have very much of that in western western minds <laughs> you know so I tend to emphasize that and and um, you know and perhaps a little bit of uh, deliberately you know, controlling the breath or deliberately opening the body, checking the posture, so u- using that with some sense of intentionality uh, you know and then within that, as things start to open up, you feel re- a bit more relaxed and you get a sense of, of uh, <coughs> you know, softer and wider. <laughs> that is, uh, you don't feel so pressurized or constricted or, or constrained. You also get a feeling like the body seems to be a whole thing rather than bits and pieces. And it, it feels more flexible and pliable and the breathing is just happening uh, and it's a flowing process then as th- those qualities come in you get the ex- then within that you know you start to feel more grounded more stabilized 
and then you can start to apply the other aspect which is deliberate intention to tune in i've called it tuning in right where are where is the breathing you know and and different people need to bring that in at different times i think maybe sometimes even the early stages is just trying to when your mind's just jumping over the wall running out to outer space all the time you, you just keep gently pulling it back with yeah but right yeah sure but where's the breathing right now so you keep that's that's the intentionality of it the deliberate intention and the other sense is something that's not deliberate intention it just happens by itself and the bringing of those two together skillfully is what will provide samadhi so in qualities of first jhana you have vitaka vichara which is that deliberate intention that is you deliberately point the mind where is your breathing how is it now and then you deliberately feel soft feels and how much thought is required in that is a matter of each individual you need perhaps a little bit or a little bit of thoughtfulness not a lot of verbalization but that kind of thoughtfulness just like you're kind of trying to remember somebody's birthday you know is it it's uh that that sense of it but not really a whole lot of stuff going on yeah so quite a lot of work is done by the body itself and i I think that's perhaps why the buddha felt this is maybe the the most generally useful and and um thorough form and then um (coughs) but you can also use some of these other things like a super so it's and contemplation of death, super at unattractive. So with these and metta, the the sense of the the beautiful or the the lovable. And with these, you, you when you establish the perception through deliberate intention, then that that impression, that mental or heart impression, stays, and you can actually then just absorb into that. Um. And it's it's interesting, you know. I haven't done these myself, but you'd think that contemplating death and or a super would absorb that would make you really really wretched and miserable. But uh, you know, I certainly know one very renowned monk who who's, who who kind of did that quite naturally. Just kind of came to him, almost as a natural thing. Just kind of seeing taking the f- you know flesh disappearing off of people. <laughs> And it is very bright, very bright mind, very s- tender, warm. Because it's like what it's done is it's 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 sort of sloughed off the more coarser, heavier sensualities, and it's comes to something quite quite refined. So what you're not necessarily doing is keep bringing back the initial thing, but dwell in the sense of of coolness that it can bring up, yeah. So you get this kind of the first perception maybe of a you know dead body or something like that. That's the immediate thing. But then, I don't necessarily recommend you do this. This is how it works. Then it, with that, you get the feeling of, oh, you know, your mind is stopped, it's cooled. It's not about being frightened, but about a sense of dispassion. And then you dwell in that. You dwell in that, that impression. So with metabhavana, you may start with thinking of someone you feel admiration for or you feel compassion for. 
you know to yourself or you, you know and then after a while you kind of get that sense of that then you begin to drop the images so your mind isn't working so much on picking up images or thinking things through you get the general imp- heart impression and you feel it's called for meta it's called the sphere of the beautiful you know which means you actually get this sense of the kind of tender lovable beautiful and that what that does to your heart and then you, it becomes a steady sign that then you can absorb into you know for compassion it's said to be the the um infinite space you know which means the mind gets compassion is much more the sense of holding other people's suffering whereas metta is reflection on the the lovable the admirable that which is um, one feels is the kind of how do you say it you know the endearing that which brings forth the, the, the nourishing instinct and karuna compassion more that which brings forth the holding protect bearing with you know so when we dwell in that the mind gets very spacious like a has a vast holding space to it Compassion is sometimes associated with this sense of it's not actually trying to change anything. You know, we we realize the you know the, the destitution and the anguish of others, and we move by that. So it's just that particular moment, and then you something in you really opens up to to bear with that that quality. So it, it leads to this sense of a va- very vast, spacious, empathic quality. So then you can absorb it into that. Mm. See, so that's kind of how, how it works. But those require a little more, you might say, a little more mental effort. But for some people, it's quite natural. You know, so it doesn't necessarily require much effort. If I'm trying to focus on the breathing, it requires more effort. Um, <laughs> you know, for some people, it more or less comes naturally, the sense of the metta or the dispassion, the turning away. And so that you you might find particular aspects that that quite naturally you you feel come to you yeah but uh i use the breathing body because um we've all got one of those and it uh the buddha did seem to to recognize with that you you don't you don't really get you can't really get sidetracked you know the the big drawback with the meditation on death was the famous incident where the monks started killing themselves because they took it too literally. <laughs> you know, and I think metta can lead to a kind of a uh, almost, um, you know, over-fondness. It's considered a, a near, an enemy of it, you know, attachment. Compassion, you get sense of being a bit sorrowful. You know, your sense of sorrow. So those considered ways in which it goes slightly astray um so it's the, it's the and for for the you know for the nibbana then what you want to have happen you know is that, that quality of intention finally can dis- disappear then there isn't any there's no dr- there's no <laughs> there's no movement forward or backwards or anything so with the intention will always give rise to the sense of somebody doing it. Yeah. So that it's a kind of 
this is where karma comes from. Intention creates the impression of somebody doing doing it. So naturally there's a certain goal. So as long as we get caught in that particular circle, then you know, th- then uh, you can do good, but you you don't you don't realize nibbana, which is the the cessation of that cause causal process of self. Okay, so I think I did touch for Mr. Blobby about softening and widening. What is it, softening and widening? Well, it's softening and widening. <laughs> Realm of texture, mindset. What exactly am I doing, or even broadly? Um, I suppose, you know, it's related to psychology, psychologies, when we have a lot of uh, um, pressure or controlling or hurry up or get clear, make this work. We get those kind of psychologies running, which could be pretty intrinsic, you know, to to the way we operate. It's a certain, a certain hardness, a certain tightening, a certain narrowing, you know, which is very much more like the, the, your average job working psychology is, you know, the quicker, the better, um, don't just sit there, do it, you know, so there's, it, there's that. Um, and there's perhaps you know, the, you know, to get on, to, to not hang around to get on, things of this nature. So softening and winding is to just start to release some of tho- that psych- psychology. You know, so it means just that and you can feel it in your perhaps in your somatic sense which is the the sense you have of the body not the feelings not the physical feelings but the general overall sense the overall sense of your body um, how it feels whether it feels tense whether it feels wobbly whether it feels numb whether it feels you know everything seems to be busting up into your head you know, so it's it's really where your energies are moving, that sense. So, so what hap- What what we're looking for, in a way, is that to find uh, uh, something where it's not driven, you know, where it's not tightened up, or so there's a tendency for it to then just to kind of soften and widen, <laughs> as a, as a felt experience, like you feel more um, spherical. And uh, because that's what your energy field is. It's actually more like a spherical sense, spherical experience. And some of the, you know, the body seems to, in, med- in samadhi, seems to dissolve into something more like a, an energy field. You know, so moving like that. Um, how does one, why, how does it relate to one-pointedness? Definition of samadhi. Well, <coughs> It allows the one-pointedness to become something that is in accordance with the process of Dhamma rather than manufactured by uh, an act of the will. You know, so 
And there's a one-pointedness which is very much kind of like the brow furrows a little and you hold a particular point deliberately. Whereas the one-pointedness arises from vitaka vichara piti sukha, which is piti sukha is joy or rapture and ease, is almost like, you know, there's a one-pointed aim, for example. That's the the one-pointedness, first of all, the aim. That is your intention, your aim is to still to settle to find balance that's your aim so you've got that one-pointed intention you know and that's what you're kind of you're not trying to solve things or scatter around you want to just still and steady and be with where you are so there's that one-pointedness and within that uh, a kind of um a center starts to form um a center starts to form a sense of of centeredness forms and it will with for instance with mindfulness of breathing that will be associated with with the breathing will also be associated with this this what we say in general terms the mental experience of comfortable so we feel comfortable you know then that is that itself that experience is a certain center to it you know you're not fidgeting, dealing with this, half worrying about that you're all collected together. Yeah? That's what being comfortable means really. It means you're not fidgeting, fretting, you know, it's the ending of that. So so there's a certain sense of everything gathering together as you feel comfortable and steady. And so you have that mental state where there's nothing else going on in your mind. You're not fretting, worrying, doubting. There's nothing else going on apart from this feeling of feeling comfortable and pleasant and happy, you know. So th- so that's the centeredness of the mind, you might say. It's got that, and it's got that centered intention. And with with Anapanasati, along with that, I mean, you know, everybody's different, really. But I will stick my neck out and generalize and say that uh, the general theme is that you, you, that you find your, your breathing seems to come to a still point you know it may not you may not even know exactly where it is in your body but you get a sense of somewhere there's this kind of continual still shining could be light could be a kind of pulse could be a certain because the breathing can get quite subtle but the energy of it becomes like a almost like a ringing tone to it you know and it, it's so it's rather like that the, the language is different because the landscape changes you know it's not like a lump of meat with thoughts running around in it <laughs> so that's what you as you focus these these signs become more apparent and you keep homing in on that where do you feel comfortable where how do you sense your breathing how does it really sense your breathing you know and so sometimes the physical breath disappears that is, you, you can't feel like this pumping in the body, this slow pumping that occurs in respiration because that quiets down. You can't feel the air being drawn in and out of your respiratory tract because that quiets down. You don't even feel a d- very strong distinction between in and out, but it's subtle. You become more aware of a tidal energy of breath that's getting stiller and stiller. So, you know, some people say, well, I can't find the breath anymore. You know, because you associate it with this, these other physical facts. But if you start to tune into the energe- energy quality of the breath, breathing, 
you don't have that doubt because you know <laughs> you know that that is that's as real an aspect of breathing as anything else in fact it's the bit that counts really you know there's no point breathing it out if you're not getting any energy out of it you die uh, so the real point of it is to get that vibrant vitality quality. So you c- you can start to discern that as you soften and widen. Because <laughs> your mind gets more sensitive to to that whole thing, yeah. and it, it drops your center from your head. You know, with the trying to figure it and get it done, and got to make sure I get into samadhi. You got to give that up in a way to just the body and feeling comfortable just settling right in there you know so that's a certain softening of psychology best I can do with that sexual desire sometimes the energy seems more focused on living life fully being fully alive but this is a kind of vibration it's almost overwhelming like the shimmering vibration of Van Gogh picture so yeah well sexual energy and sexual desire are two slightly different things Um, you might say sexual sexual energy is just body energy Um, it can naturally express itself through in sexual ways sexual channels sexual ways of sexual imagery but it really is just the old body energy um and uh it's an energy or that one needs to be fully harnessed so it's the point is to try to sort of catch the dragon catch the energy and bring it somewhere more useful if your intention is on cultivation of mind you know cultivation of, of samadhi cultivation of metta you know really strongly intention is that then this is a very powerful um, life force it's called the life force jivita um, so this is something you want to actually try to steer or channel in the body and uh I think it has great power because it's obviously just kind of something that, that is so instinctive and, and a fundamental program of what bodies do. You know. um, and it can sometimes be perhaps what one of the few ways in which we actually get to feel really charged up and, and invigorated. Then, it, then this is this is difficult because if the rest of our life is really mechanical or dry or just dutiful or you know something like that, then maybe the only kind of feeling we have of real bringing you know coming alive and feeling brimming and vital and interesting and so forth is is through sexuality. So, it be, so I think this can be the case in in, um, in our society. You know, you see how strongly emphasized sexuality is in in the social domain as being you know the most interesting and valuable essential experience to have to express you know everything from 
toothpaste the insurance policies have got something sexual associated with it <laughs> if it's, it's either that or organic organic seems to be the new word <laughs> sexuality is pretty organic as well <laughs> so it's both <laughs> organic sexuality <laughs> So, you know, the, the the channeling of it is through feeling more vitality in the body. So I think think there's first of all that we might say the positive side is to is to just try to develop um the body energy in in other ways. So traditionally, you know, one of the things people do in Indian society yoga would be associated with brahmacharya. Brahmacharya means the the asec the non sexual roughly speaking you know so the brahmacharya would be associated with celibacy so that and so sorry celibacy would be associated with doing hatha yoga partly because you, you use that energy to develop the the uh this uh prana and um through through hatha yoga and through um breath fun you know God, it's amazing how it slipped my mind. Pranayama, exactly, pranayama. So you, you actually use that, you sort of draw it up through the through the subtle channels and then it finds its uh, very fulfilling and uh, vitalizing experience. And so you, so you, you channel it. You know. So a similar thing could be said about anapanasati, but it's less 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 fully less fully physical than that but what that does is that sexual energy when it's sexual tends to kind of cause a certain tension tense tenses up and then the the need is to release that which we do through sexual activity you, you know you get a tension a kind of contracting and then you release it and you get this kind of buzz of the of the release and the sort of various after effects and so forth but it's it's pretty rough in some ways whereas you're doing things like Pranayama or Hatha Yoga, it's a, it's a, it's a holding and there's a general suffusing sense. And similarly, this is pretty much the case with Anapanasati. You, you, you tr- try to develop that in your body. So it can be helpful to do particular exercises like Hatha Yoga or like Qigong. It's also very good for opening out the energy so the energy tends to, to flow over the whole body. You know, and, and again, qigong is pretty non. It's not. It doesn't get. You don't get much sexuality, sexual feeling with that, because it seems to just level it all out. You don't get that kind of building up that needs release. You know, you're standing there with your arms out for ten minutes. The last thing you want to do. It's <laughs> 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 yeah. So that's great. The other, the other thing is, of course, that sexuality does provide us with a form of intimacy, and um, you know, so that the, that's also in, enjoyable and 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 valuable actually to have the sense of intimacy and being with another person in that kind of very close and heartful way. So this we develop the Brahma Vihara, Metabhavana, so that can provide some of that fulfilment of tender heartedness and uh and that kind of heart heart energy which is also an important aspect of 
the sexual activity and really you know without that sexual activity is really pretty um animal you know it doesn't got much refinement to it um when one's trying to deal with sexual desire then th- think with, with lots any kind of desire that what you do is, ba- is you first of all take away the topic you try to keep dislodging any images or thoughts that come up that stimulate that so you've got an obsession of some kind in your mind then you, you keep dislodging that and either by deliberately refraining from it as this person has said deliberately diverting it which is a, is, is a helpful um, you know putting out the fire kind of thing but it does doesn't exactly resolve um, but you can do that but then um, you go with that but then why I mentioned the other thing is you, you also need to enhance an alternative to to sexual activity you know you, you can't just put out the fire without some something that actually is perhaps a little bit damaging to your attitudes or your psychology you get kind of something kind of you know people who haven't done that generally get some weird attitudes about sexuality or or anything to do with life (laughs) you know you you get that strange um sinful you know sinful everything living and vital and playful is sinful so you get that you don't want to have that either that's what comes when you try just to suppress it you get those psychologies take over so to to try to transfer it to to the body to and from the into the heart and into the into something where it's it's suffusing your whole body is really helpful really important Sometimes when we, you know, when you have obsessive desires, you want to ask, what do you really want? You know, what what do you think it wants? What do you think you really want? What do you think this provides? Maybe it provides a feeling of of enjoyment, of release, of vitality, of emotional warmth. Okay, so this is, this is good to know this. This is what you want. You want. Now, where can you... Where can you begin to find that? Mm-hmm. Because the uh, see sexual activity really doesn't offer very much, actually. You know, because you know, sort of, you know, you've got to keep doing it <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> so it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't get satisfied just in one, one action. You've got to kind of. So it's a pretty much a uh, um, doesn't fulfil what it's supposed to. You know. So that's why the the Buddha himself, you know, said it was difficult to to give this up, to let go of this, until he found the qualities of samadhi. Then he found it just this was much better. And. Uh, and so that when you have that, the qualities of metta, the way it's it's um, very direct access to to the to that vitality and that heartfulness. <coughs> but it is it is you got to keep working at it really. Generally, you know, it can be stimulated just by 
you know, getting too mechanical, too drab, too dull. So you get frustrated by the frustrations. You can build it up. You know, you feel kind of bleak and lonely, so that can build it up. Uh, so you, you want to really look at nourishing yourself and um, as as a basic thing. Bit more theory. This one is about what's the difference in transmigration and reincarnation? Briefly, I feel ambivalent about investing in any belief system. What I always liked about Buddhism was it's a practice. The good old days. Lumpur always Lumpur Sumedho always emphasized here and now. And that we do not know what happens when we die yet. Isn't it possibly a misuse of this moment pondering the unknowable? Right. So let's forget about it. (laughs) 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 I I didn't ask the question. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It may not be particularly relevant actually to 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 what you need but uh, just the transmigration you see reincarnation implies that something that was there comes back again and that isn't really what's meant by it it's not something re anything it's not like rebirth or re you know it's not like something that was is again it's a new thing but it's rather like um a process of cause and effect so the you know like the fire jumps onto the next tree, you know, so there's a sense of that the process continues, you know, it's a continuing. Further birth is what the Buddha, Pono Bhavika, which means further becoming, Jati, birth. Those are the terms the Buddha used. He'd never used the word rebirth. Um, So that's a kind of Western interpolation. And I think it's, Interesting that we do some feel quite uncomfortable with this, and yet in many lineages they'd feel very uncomfortable if you denied it. <laughs> you know, this is pretty. This is what's called right view: is to at least hold this as a as a, a part of the picture. Why? And um, the Buddha himself didn't feel that everybody would accept that. You know, in one of his talks, he said, "You." You know, either if you don't really accept this, fine, but then you've got to look at cause and effect in this lifetime. But if there is a future life, then, you know, you've done good anyway. So so it, it wasn't the case that everybody believed it in his in that age either. And it's really about um, understanding the sense of, instead of self, it's cause and effect. This is how transmigration rather than rebirth you see, because it's not like some something, some self gets reborn as something else. And I think this is why people like Lumpur Sumedho, Ajahn Buddha Dasa, many people just cut the whole topic down because um, certainly in in people get really, really obsessed with what they're going to what they're going to be born as in a future life, or what they were in a past life, and certainly. You know, it's b- the experience in Thailand, can perhaps other countries also, is is people almost like, 
figuring out what their what their phone number is going to be in the future life. You know, it's that. <laughs> And it gets silly because they're doing this, you know, making some merit now. So in the future, I'll be reborn as a so-and-so, you know. And if I make, give up this many amount of money, I'll get reborn as a king. If I do this kind of thing, I'll get reborn as a as a merchant or a rich person. It gets really travesty of, of the Buddha's teaching. It's just sheer, sheer materialism. You know, make merit in this life so you can be reborn as such and such. And, you know, you'd be a millionaire in the future. So... That is that's a uh, very gross way of looking at it. But what it what it does help to get the overall sense of, you know, if we if we just look at what's really happening in terms of cause cause and effect in this experience here and now, you know, there are causes, there are thoughts, there are feelings that give rise to effects, there are sense that, you know, this is the process. And so as you meditate more and more, you become less able to really posit a self as being a thought or not thought or a silence or an inclination or not inclination or a mood or a behavior or a physical body. You know, so this self thing gets a real hammering (laughs) to what, where can it be, you know? And yeah, so, so that what you begin to understand is just cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect, and that's that's the main thing. Once you've really started to take that on board, then you know the sense of this bodily boundary becomes less significant. You know, as to, and it helps us to understand that what we are what we are what we sense ourselves as being now is not just something that's arisen because of social circumstances and parenting in this lifetime you know i think that's really helpful because it uh that's more to do with personality you know it's more to do with the social you know social conditioning and topics of this lifetime is the personality but you meet stuff that's not about personality it's at a deeper level than that. You can't explain it as because of something that happened in this life. You know, it, why am I different from my brother? You know, we both had the same parents and so forth. Yeah, we're chalk and cheese, you know, and and so forth. So it does help to get to begin to widen one's perspectives. I think that's really a, that's the only use of it. And if the Buddha does say this is something he experiences i think one should at least not deny it really believe it it's not at least say well we'll see you know but but can't one shouldn't dismiss it either mind moments well here we go is the ultimate nature of reality oh my goodness a vast energetic flux and the mind moments a construct of human perception. Well, when I put my attention mindfully on my process, I experience it in discrete mind moments, moments of awareness, but there's a sense of flow too. The mind moments, that particular expression is, is more rooted in the um, Abhidharma, which try try to analyze chitta mind as minutely uh, 
recurring mind moments, like nanoseconds, you know, of goodness knows how many mind moments occurred in a second, but just these kind of infinitesimal. So they try to whittle it down to that's what, the, each mind moment is a separate chitta. And every thought, I think, has seven, seven mind moments in it, you know. So, um, and then some, particularly the Burmese, who have a very, very high regard for the Abhidharma, try to base their meditation practices on this, on this sense. Like with the Burmese Satipatthani, try to, you know, contemplate each each mind moment. You know, but that's where it comes from, and and yeah, but it, it doesn't seem to appear in the suttas, the Buddhist suttas, which most everybody acknowledges is much earlier than the Abhidharma. Abhidharma seems to be a rather later thing. When one experiences discrete mind moments, um, what is meant by that? Um, Perceptions, thoughts, and the flow, sense of flow too. Sense of flow is can be the whole general kind of movement of the chitta, so the mind. So it tends to by itself, you know, go in these waves of of maybe it's energized and then releases and energized and releases, and with that come these kind of thoughts and perceptions. Um, and that flow will, as you let go more of the of the particular topics of the mind moments, then you become more aware of, of the mind as a kind of an energetic flow field. You know, something that's that's like has a singularity to it, but it's always changing, rather like one of those screensavers. You know. <laughs> It's just a little pulsing thing that is shifting around on your computer screen. And then that will tend to, to slow down. Mm. And, you know, is it possible for the mind to go with that? Yes, it is. It means quietening it and softening it. last one is a little more slightly different domain (coughs) meditation teacher once said to me that it would be very difficult to progress in meditation, spiritual development if one's partner does not meditate what is your opinion please I don't know most of my partners meditate. <laughs> I got lots of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the the really it's really helpful, of course, if you do have someone who's who's close to you who's, who's doing the same kinds of things, then you get the encouragement and the and the sort of 
you know, particularly if you're doing it together, it helps because you've got you days when you don't want to get on the mat. You know, he or she will will be there, so you feel you've got to do it. <laughs> so get on your case if you're not doing your practice, or someone you can actually talk these things over with. But I do know people who are very committed to meditation with partners don't practice, but the partner is just very happy because it makes their you know, the, the partner, you know, they think, well, I, I like you meditating because you're much easier to live with, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so you keep doing it. It's great. <laughs> but I don't personally feel a need for it, but I enjoy you doing it, and I'm very happy that you support you in that. So that's that's fine too. You know, it's when you have somebody who feels that they're losing you, you know, that you spend all that time sitting there mumbling those weird words, um, you know, I feel you're drifting away from me, then that, that could be difficult. So it's really, um, you know, if you when you have a committed relationship, that you see that the meditation is much more than just the sitting on your on your zafu. So it's also how you are in that relationship is part of your meditation. And hopefully, if your relationship is is good and committed, then it can be part of your meditation. It needn't be should be part of your practice shouldn't be something other than your practice so you know if, if it, hopefully that that those divisions don't have to occur and then you know your, your sense of how you relate to the other person is part of your cultivation of the path and your tuning in and so forth um, then it, 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 it can actually I think with meditation has to be be careful about just getting too self-absorbed. You know, too much me, 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 my practice kind of thing. So you could <laughs> look out for that. <laughs> uh, so I think, you know, o- other people can definitely help us or sometimes help us even we don't think they're helping us because they provide us with stuff that we've got to work with. Um, and uh, if a person is at least supportive and you feel commitment, then... And you can develop, I'm sure, with that. <laughs>